Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tiger Talk. I'm your host, Taylor Davis, joined, as always, by the one and only Jason Campbell. We're here to break down all things Auburn football for you, and we're super excited today for our interview. Stay tuned to the end of the show. We have Auburn great Carlos Rogers joining us today to talk all things Auburn. It's going to be a great show, even given the tough game that we are about to recap. Jason, after losing to Georgia at home in a devastating fashion, 21 to 14 you know it's our job here on tiger talk to recap these games but man i don't want to relive this one this one hurt yeah this one hurt a lot you can also tell in the fan base uh, at the game how you know how suit unsuiting it was you know just to feel like all of a sudden the game starts off and like where things almost seem like they're about to happen then they don't happen and then we get into the second half and then all of a sudden Fourth quarter comes and it's almost like the light switch comes on and the whole game just flips and we still all the momentum. Then it seems like we look like two completely different football teams from the first three quarters into the fourth quarter. And um, mm-hmm. and it's almost like you can feel the comeback happening. You can feel the excitement in the stadium. You can feel like the student session doing a swag <laughs> surf. And then, uh, you know, everyone just got into it. It got loud and Georgia had zero momentum. And I just felt like we were going to come back and win that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, we fell short. And it's kind of like a feeling of how our season has gone. Like, we get really close in these big games. And then just something always happens that makes us fall just a little short at the end of the day. And But I, I proud the guys on their fight, though. Absolutely. We've talked about that all season. If it's a loss where you feel like the result is reflective of – which team is just better, then that's a little bit easier to come to terms with. But these losses this season, you just feel like a few minute changes and the result is completely different. You don't feel like any of these losses have truly proven where Auburn is deficient. Obviously, we know there are struggles on the offensive side, and we're going to break all of that down. But these close calls, man, that's where it's just so frustrating. And that's what gets the conversation going about Gus's job security, because the fans feel even more frustrated when it's losses like this. And, you know, this one, the reality is, If we ever were a dark horse threat to get into the playoff, that's completely gone now. And everyone knew that. And the reality was if, if a Georgia win and an Alabama win closed the season, and just like we saw Baylor fell last minute to Oklahoma, like mm-hmm. there's still some chaos that can happen around the country that could have affected Auburn's outcome. And with this loss literally slipping through our fingers at the very end of the game, all of those hopes went away. So this loss is extremely difficult. And you add in how tight this rivalry is and, and how personal it feels this one was just very, very tough. But 
I totally commend the guys on their fight. I agree with you. Their backs were absolutely against the wall. It At the end of the third quarter, man, it, you start thinking not just about the loss. Now you're thinking shutout. When you were watching the fourth quarter, what impressed you? What stood out? Because that team was a completely different team, like you said, than what we saw majority of the game. I think confidence as far as the standpoint of our offense got going the fourth quarter. And the reason we got going because we stopped substituting so much. And when you're subbing so much, it's hard for guys to get the rhythm and the feel of the game. And when we had to go at such a fast pace, guys couldn't afford to keep coming off the field and going back onto the field. So with that happening, guys knew they were staying out on the field, so they were making plays. They got the rhythm. They got the confidence. They got going. And then once we got that first touchdown, it was like, okay, like, oh, that's off our back now. Now we start to breathe a little bit better. Then the defense fed off of that. Then the defense starts shutting their offense down. Then we got the ball back again, and we go down and we score again. So then all of a sudden, you look up, it's seven minutes to go in the game. You're like, oh, my goodness, it's a seven-point game. And mm-hmm. then we stop them again. We get the ball back with four minutes and something to go in the game. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, we take this drive down here. We tie the game up, and we still got our timeouts to be able to stop them, get the ball back, and they go back down again and to kick a field goal to maybe win the game. Now, you want to talk about one of the most uh, historic comebacks in Auburn, Georgia history. That yeah. almost happened on Saturday night. And uh, it is just go to show you that when our offense scores three or we miss a field goal like it did in the first quarter, what happens to our team? The mojo goes down. But it goes to show you as soon as we scored a touchdown, it even lived up the defense. And then you scored another touchdown. Now the defense start to do it. They starting to believe in the offense now that they're going to go down and score another touchdown if they get another stop. And that's how games are won in big games because it's such a momentum builder for everybody that's involved. Yeah, and honestly, as Auburn fans, we've been kind of conditioned to think that these things can happen. And lo and behold, a switch flipped in the fourth quarter. I mean, scoring two touchdowns within four minutes in the fourth quarter, and it's a completely different narrative. And the first thing out of my mouth was, where has this been? And that is also where frustration lies because you do start to see there are formulas for this team that do work, but they are not implemented for an entire four quarters, and that becomes the problem. So let's start with the offense. It was an improved performance for Bo Nix. He went 30 of 50 for 245 yards and a touchdown, and then on the rushing side, 42 rushing yards and a touchdown. That was something that we said we wanted to see from him more, and we did. Uh, he he was making good reads for the most part, and with not a lot of time from this O line. I'll be honest, and you can speak on this from a quarterback's perspective, that O-line, you really saw the issues when you compared it to Georgia. I mean, the time allotment that Jake Fromm is given versus Bo Nix, that is very evident. And what comes with that time is composure. Every time Bo is in the pocket, you feel like you have to hold your breath because you know he's going to have to act almost on an impulse. What impressed you about his performance today? Obviously, there were some costly mistakes, a fumble, a drop snap. But what did you see that gave you hope for the future of his career? Yeah, the thing uh, when I look at like when I look at Bo and I looked at Jake Fromm from a game standpoint is when you look at their offensive line for Georgia. They have three first-rounders on there. And yeah, they Those do. guys are massive. Uh, you know, standing on the sideline, I was like, jeez. But then at the same <laughs> time, you know, you see Auburn, our offensive line and everything. But most times they work well together, and then sometimes we'll have a hiccup here. And it seemed like it always happens after, like, a penalty or something. And 
And then sometimes I think with them being their first time, their first year with Bo, like you can kind of see like they're still trying to find each other because there's times that Bo can sh- should slide up in the pocket and stay in the pocket and throw the ball. And there's times he gets out way too early. And all of that means to tell me that, okay, he's not fully confident in staying in the pocket yet. And probably a lot of reason is because in high school, he was so used to escaping the pocket and making so many things on the run happen. So now it's time for you to move up in the pocket. It takes a little bit more time to, to change that habit. And then for an offensive line, it can sometimes be tough on them from a standpoint of they're trying to figure out where his set points are going to be. And, and right now they still don't know because, you know, he moves around a lot. And then at the same time, we can't get pushed up the middle, which creates in bold mind, like, okay, if I get pushed up the middle, what's my first thing I'm thinking? It's escaping. It's just getting outside the pocket where he's more comfortable with. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the one thing we, we have to get better at is just stoning guys at the line of scrimmage. Let's get Georgia credit, though. You know, they do have a good defensive front. You know, I know we were saying before the game that, hey, they had really had played – a, a quarterback of a starter of a team is most of the backups of the teams that they played against. But, you know, let's give some credit to them as well that they defensive front, you know, they got after us a little bit, you know, they pretty much shut down our run game for the most part of the game and tried to make us one dimensional, which we already knew that's their game plan. But at the same time, if we win that game, it's huge for Bo's confidence. It's huge for our offense's comp- offense confidence because it takes one game, one game to flip the whole switch. And for Auburn, it took one quarter. I was impressed by Bo Nix. Obviously, you can break down where some mistakes really, you know, could have cost us the win. But another thing that really caught the attention of a lot of people was the officiating. And honestly, I hate talking about that because I think, you know, the great teams don't need the assistance of the officiating because they're not in situations like that. But there were so many calls in this one that did bring up a lot of debate the onside kick being overturned no face mask call on a Bo Nix run that clearly there are stills all over Twitter it was a mm-hmm. face mask the overturned catch for Seth Williams that in my opinion looked like an NFL catch I mean both feet were in bounds I understand they said he bobbled but those things when you can look at so many of them as debatable not just one that just adds to the already difficult task of accepting a close loss. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. Um, officiating, you know, sometimes they guys get a lot of heat and then sometimes, you know, but that's part of their position. It's part of their job. But at the same time, it seemed like for us this year at Auburn, we haven't gotten many of those calls to go our way. You know, it right. have a tendency to seem like to go the other team's way. And you would think mm-hmm. at home that we may get some of those calls, but it, it didn't matter in this game because, you know, it's clear a face mask penalty, face mask that should have been called on a critical down uh, to get the drive started on our comeback with two minutes and something to go in the game. So you're talking about 15 mm-hmm. yards. That's a, that's a, that's a drive starter. And then fourth and two never happens to Harrell. If the 22, when we're on a 22 yard line, the Seth Williams makes the catch if they complete it as a catch. And now mm-hmm. that drive is still going. We're first down instead of having to come back with fourth and two. I mean, well, it was third down after that, and we end up scrambling. But then we end up getting into the fourth and two. So things happen because of sometimes missed calls that put teams in bad situations or put teams in a tough situation where we were like, hey, yeah, if you make that call, it, it puts us in a totally different game game call. Like, it's just totally different. And uh, so that's tough. And at the same time, we always tell each other in locker rooms, like, hey, 
you know, we always put everything on our shoulders. If, if we do this right, then that it doesn't come to this. If we do that, it doesn't. The situation doesn't happen. But at the same time, the reality is reality, and these guys are missing calls. It, it's costing coaches jobs. It's costing costing kids an opportunity to play in championship games. It's just happening way too much now, and I feel like they need to tighten up on those on those things. They need to be held at the same standard as coaches and players are held when it comes to playing the game of football. I agree with you. What stood out to me and what confused me the most is that they were overturned, which that's usually where it becomes difficult because you have to have indisputable video evidence of the opposite. Seth Williams was called a catch and the onside kick was ruled successful and they were both overturned. And I did not think that that video evidence was indisputable. I really expected to hear with at least one of them that the play stands. Maybe you can't confirm it, but I do not think there is anything clear enough to overturn both of those. And I I do think that that has a huge impact on the result of the game. Now, granted, we can't say that those calls are the only reason that we lost the game because you don't know what would have actually come to fruition. But it is something that I think deserves to be talked about. I know a lot of people say, like, no sense harping on it. Like, your team should have been up more anyway. Fair. But these things have to be talked about and given fair attention so that the officiating does get tighter. Because the reality is they do have a hand in the results of these games. Like you said, they have a hand in what some of these players get to accomplish or not in their career. And they should be held accountable for the things that they do right and do wrong. So that's where I lie on that. I do think it was a phenomenal day for Seth Williams. This guy is proving time and time again that he is going to be a reliable receiver for this Auburn team. And then, like we said, the run game was was really shut down. We expected that from Georgia with one of the best run defenses in the country. But to have Booby Whitlow back and DJ Williams having the season he's having, it was really surprising to see 23 yards for Booby Whitlow and 26 yards for DJ Williams. And knowing what we know about Auburn offense led by Gus Malzahn, run stats like that most often don't get you the win. Right. You're exactly right. It's something I talked about uh, at the halftime show is that when you looked at the first half stats, Auburn had way more passes than they did runs. And mm-hmm. when we were running football team, like when you look at Gus offense, we really do really well when we're rushing the ball at a high number. And when I saw that, I was kind of shocked. I was like, so that means – Obviously, we went on the field long enough to continue to sustain drives, you know, which just has has been an issue uh, for you to be able to get more rushes. But at the same time, that caught me off guard a little bit. And I know in the second half, we had talked about trying to establish a run a little bit more because establishing a run at least sets some type of foundation for us to be able to do play action off of it or be able to put it, make them put an extra guy in the box and be able to throw the ball out to our fast guys and our big guys like Seth to make plays. So, that was a little bit different, but I think we was trying to catch them off guard. I think Gus probably was trying to figure out, like, hey, I know they're going to try to stop our run. They do have two big run stoppers on the inside of the defensive line position, so mm-hmm. I'm going to try to catch them off by by hitting them over the top or by hitting them outside on the edges, staying away from those big guys up front. But um, but we also saw that how important it is to have a rushing attack against a team like this because even though Georgia didn't have a big rushing day, they had enough to keep us honest on defense because the rush by by Swift before halftime was crucial. The one that he broke for a yep. long run, like you know that was a that was a backbreaker because that helped position them to get fourteen points. Like they just kept handing it off to him, handing it off to him, 
And sooner or later, just knowing that he's probably going to break one. And that's all it takes sometimes. It's just you just keep handing it off, handing it off, and all of a sudden the guy breaks one for 30, 40 yards. And then you're like, oh, man, we gave up a big run. And that's something defensive coaches cannot stand. And uh, that put them in a position to go up 14-0 right before the half. And uh, mm-hmm. those are tough. But then, you like I said, you talk about Seth. The guy's been doing great. He's been making huge plays for this team all year. And it almost just go to show, you watch all our game tapes. All right, we had a drive in the first half. Bo was doing good. Boom, we have a fumble. We have a drive to open the game up, and we miss the field goal. Then yep. we get into the, the late situation where it's fourth and two, and we kind of missed the pass behind him. Then we get into the situation where it's third and 10, and then Seth has the ball, and I almost come a bang, bang, but he'll tell you nine times out of 10, I got to come up with that ball, and we have a drop. So it just goes to show you, like, we're right there with the LSU, the Georgias, the, all these teams that's in the top four. It's just at crucial times, the wrong thing happens for us. Mm-hmm. And that has kind of been the story of our season this year. And um, and like I say, the guys have showed a lot of heart and a lot of fight, and I commend them for that. They don't get their heads down. If they're down, one thing I know about this team, they will fight you. And, <laughs> and that started from game one. All the way to last week, you saw it like they, there's no quit in this team. I, yeah. I commend them on that. And I and that makes me proud to see them as Auburn guys that there's no quit. And but we just have to continue to keep sawing wood, sawing wood, and try to figure out how to get better in crucial situations because the game always comes down to four or five plays in big games that decides the, decides the outcome. Well, and that's what makes the difference between a good team and a great team is those Mm -hmm. final tough moments where you just need that one play. The great teams can execute in those moments and the good teams sometimes falter. And I think that has been very evident for this Auburn team, unfortunately, especially when you look at the offensive side of the ball. I mean, when you look over Gus Malzahn's tenure as the head coach, the most successful offenses have been known as a run play action attack, but much of like the past couple of years, really when even going back to when Jarrett Stidham, they knew they needed to adjust around the quarterback. And so they did start going through the air more, but I I think we're seeing that that's, that's not the most effective identity for this Auburn offense, but given Bo Nix's skill set and the fact that we are going to have him for a few more years, and honestly, there was a glimmer of hope shown this week in his run ability. I think that he does have a better scrambling ability than Jarrett Stidham did. So it does open up that RPO a little bit more. It, it provides us more versatility. But what we know about Gus Malzahn is what got him to this level. We've talked about it all season. And it was kind of that two-minute offense, that that no-huddle up tempo. He he really was one of the starters of that to the NCAA world. And the past few years, that has really gone backwards. And a lot of that is because they know defenses are expecting it and have learned how to stop it. But mm-hmm. I, I think that that's what's worked so well for this Auburn offense. And I don't think that Bo Nix is not a, the quality guy to carry that through. So what do you anticipate the identity is going to become for this Auburn offense, knowing that we're getting guys like Bo and Seth back? I think he gonna, he's going to realize, I think, in the offseason, he's going to do a self-evaluation because we have to say, like, it's for him, this has been like he's not learning all over again, but at the same time, getting a feel for how to call plays and getting a rhythm of a game again. I think the, the thing that when I, when I watch our games, we do best 
when we're not doing so many substitutions, when we're keeping yeah. guys out there and we're moving the ball because that makes their defense have to stay in the same defense. Those guys can't run on and off the field. And when you do that, now they wear down. But when we sub, the refs are allowed to hold the ball until the defensive team subs and get their personnel out there. So when they do that, it kind of takes away the disadvantage that you have as an offense in going so fast because those 10 seconds that the ref was standing over the ball, you're trying to go, 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 and all of a sudden you can't because you sub, so now you have to allow them to sub. So we have to find out what's our best personnel, what's our best what's our best uh, formations, and who do we want to feel on a certain series and certain plays, and let's roll with those guys for a couple of plays before subbing anybody to make their defense have to stay in, a, stay in their same defense and not be able to sub so we can find a misadvantage or find someone that – that, that we can create matchups on and just continue to just go at it and go at it, then we put the pressure. Then that's when you put pressure on opposing defenses. But when you're doing as much subbing as, as, as we do, it's hard on the offense. It's hard on – it, it, it kind of helps the defense in a way because the time that they have to do it now, where when Gus first started doing this, that's why Coach Saban made such a big fuss about it because yeah. it didn't matter. You could sub as much as you want. And the defense couldn't 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 keep up, and that's how guys were getting caught with twelve men on the field. They were getting misaligned, and that's how you put up a whole bunch of points. And then Saban fussed and fussed about it, and all of a sudden the rule got changed, and all of a sudden now <laughs> things things are, are different. So when things are different, we have to find a way to adapt and adjust. And I think that's the thing we got to do better of is how do we make these in game adjustments, and how do we make these halftime adjustments, so that what happened last week in the first half can get those results we got in the fourth quarter a lot sooner. Honestly, I, I think, if anything, we can see where there is so much talent and ability, but it's the little things that have kept them from the record, and I don't think you can consider yourself a great team if you're not beating great teams. Like, our biggest win this year was in the first game of the season against Oregon, and, and right. it hasn't been beaten since then as far as the caliber of opponent that we are beating. I mean, if you're looking at Mississippi State and Arkansas and Ole Miss, yeah, we can sit here and say all day long where they have talent, where they have potential because they're in a conference foe and you never know what's going to happen in those. But the reality is those aren't great teams. Those are, those are right. programs that are really struggling this season. So we should have beaten them in a very convincing fashion. Florida, LSU, Georgia, those were the times to prove if this Auburn team was great or not and I don't think we did that and and that's unfortunate because of the talent that we are going to lose after this season specifically on the defense well we've lost games that Taylor has been situational football mm -hmm. you know whether it's clock management or whether it's um, you know making the big plays when we got to make the big play and the plays that are there and we're missing them and sometimes that's on players as well and uh but at the same time, we haven't we gotta find a way to do better in situational football. Like those are the most critical parts in football is third down and red zone and managing the clock in the last four minutes of the game. Like it is crucial. They can win you football games and they can get your butt beat a lot of times. And if I'm Gus as well, we have to find a way to, to develop more of our passing game to make it more of a threat than what it is. Uh, yes, we got guys that can run deep down the field. Yes, we got a big receiver that can go over top of someone. But I think we just have to add a little bit more volume to our passing game. And I don't know whether a lot of it is because, you know, we have a, a true freshman at quarterback or not. But 
you know, you think of the games when he used to have the Nick Marshall and, and he had Cam and even with Stidham, uh, you know, a lot more of our passing game seemed a little bit different than mm-hmm. than where it is right now. So I think it just comes back to we got to be more creative and uh, and getting our guys an opportunity to get more separation to, to make some of these plays over the middle of the field, or more crosser routes, more um, over routes. And I just feel like with Sanford and Alabama coming up, shoot, just have that let it loose mentality. Like, see where it mm-hmm. goes. Call everything. You know what I'm saying? See where it goes. Like, let these guys just go out and play football and find a way to be like, okay, this is a time you can develop more trust and this is a time you can find out, like, what you have in your guy and what you have and not just both, but in other guys. on the, We didn't even know it by DJ Williams until and, until uh, Booby got hurt. Right. And all of a sudden, DJ Williams shows up and he's running hard every time he gets tackled. He's falling forward for yards. It's it's those little things like that that's just so close. And that's why it's so frustrating to fan base and so frustrating to the players and the coaches when they watch the tape is, it's these little things. It's not these mega things. It's the little things that's getting our butt beat in crucial situations. Yeah, and it's not the talent either because we see it all over the field. And I think a huge focus needs to be on player management because, like you said, some guys that we didn't even know we had and then they come in just because of circumstance and end up making their mark. Like, why has nothing – again, what we've said about Anthony Schwartz, why is that speed not being utilized as more of a weapon? And honestly, you hate to say it, but I, you got to wonder what some of these situations – would have become had Joey Gatewood been utilized more. I don't think there was anything wrong with using him this year. Back to the LSU game, which is when he decided that was it because that should have been a scenario where he was given a shot. And because they they are close, they are small differences. So who's to say that one player isn't that small difference? So the management of your personnel and the and the management and the utilization of the talent of that personnel is what's going to make the difference. Interested to see what they do looking into the Iron Bowl and uh, and really into next season. And obviously, we haven't talked a ton about the defense, but I'll just say uh, another great game for them. Honestly, not the best game for this D-line. Like we said, this Georgia O-line has some serious talent. I think when you looked at the trenches of this game, there were draft picks on both sides. Like there's right. just going to be so much NFL talent coming out of both of those teams. They certainly had a day that they can hang their hat on because this this was essentially a shutout heading into the fourth quarter and, and the defense maintained their toughness and their momentum and gave the offense some breathing room so that they could have the full game to collect themselves and then execute better going into the fourth. So uh, I thought they did a really great job, even in the secondary where we knew there there is a lot of size in that Georgia receiving core. All three of Georgia's touchdowns were through the air, but this is a situation where it really could have gotten away from us and, and been more ugly. And the defense kept it manageable the entire time. Right. You're exactly right. Our defense kept us an opportunity to make a comeback. You know, they didn't let the game get completely out of hand uh, to a point that we couldn't, you know, that it was that we couldn't magnify not a chance to to come back and score points. But when I think about this whole game is the one thing that Coach Steele is probably the most upset is about is giving up that touchdown right before the half. Yeah. Um like that was that was huge because if we can hold him to a field goal, make it a ten to zero game, then that's um that's a lot better for us uh, as a whole. But you really can't complain. Like the way these guys played in the fourth quarter I, I, you give up two yards or you give up 15 total yards, like that's almost unheard of. 
in today's in today's college football because of all the spread offenses that people run. You know, you look at a guy like Jake Fromm, you know, a guy he throws three touchdowns, but he only had like 130 yards of passing. So he didn't do anything to really scare you that way. And from that standpoint, they have some really big receivers. But like you said, our defense was in their face a lot. And even though we didn't get a lot of sacks, we made him uncomfortable. And then their run game didn't even get a lot of rushes. Yes, they had over 100 yards rushing, but at the same time, one of them was off a huge run by Swift. So you really can't complain so much when guys are fighting, fighting, fighting. And, you know, I'm not trying to hop on our offense so much. It's just the point that if it's the, the ones that hurt is when you get those four straight three and outs. You know, those are the ones that hurt because as soon as your defense come off, they right back on the field. You know, if you can come out there, you go 10 plays or you go maybe six or seven plays, and even if you don't get points out of it, you held time off the clock and you gave your defense the opportunity to rest so then they come back out there, they're more equipped to go after the quarterback or to stop the run and, and not be so tired when the game is on the line late in the game. But it's all a momentum thing, and – like, you can bang your head against the wall, against the wall. I'm so happy, though, that we fought back in the fourth quarter because had we not showed anything in that fourth quarter, this would have been an interesting week. This will certainly be a challenging week coming off a difficult loss to Georgia. You know that the you know all-important Iron Bowl is looming a week ahead, and, and you've got to play Samford this week. But uh, I'm going to ask both you and our guy Carlos Rogers about that, just how these guys can stay up for the remaining two games of the regular season. Really pumped to talk to Carlos. I know he's a former teammate of yours. We are going to bring Carlos in, talk all about his playing days and everything that's going down in Auburn right now. So we're going to bring him in in just a moment. Well, everybody, as promised, we are now being joined by former cornerback at Auburn, the 2004 Jim Thorpe Award winner, ninth overall draft pick in 2005, a member of the 2017 SEC Football Legends class. This resume goes on and on, but I'll end it there. Carlos Rogers, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Say that again. Say that stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, did you hear? Oh, all that? Right. yeah, here you go. You know, this, <laughs> this, this is what happens when you deal with DBs. DBs and receivers are just, they're just, you know, like you, you can't ever be serious about anything around DBs and receivers. You might as well just go off to yourself, get your own. I'm um, serious. I didn't, I didn't hear you. The um, phone was going in and out, so I just want you to say it Right, right. I'll send it to you in an email. Don't worry. Uh, well, Carlos, we're pumped to have you here. We were talking uh, a little bit earlier. You and Jason go way back to your playing days. Talk to me a little bit about your time down on the Plains. Obviously, you were part of that undefeated 04 team. Just uh, what special memories stand out to you from your time at Auburn? Of course, our top, it would be our uh, senior year when we went 13-0. and uh, um, tired of repeating it, but fortunately we couldn't be in the championship game. But it was a great season. I think that's probably uh, out of my four years that stood out the most. Um, that season with those group of guys, um, the family atmosphere that we um, that was there, Auburn, the uh, collective group of guys, how tight we was on and off the field. I think that was the most part that stood out to me. Well, Los, since you uh, family atmosphere. Everybody don't know that you and Cadillac Williams was uh well we'll say Carnell. He he let us call his government name. That y'all go way back as far as like being roommates in college and everything, you godparent, godfather of his kids. Um, when you think of this Auburn team and you look at us now, but just 
over this past, I probably say this past weekend, Auburn was felt like a reunion game. You know, everybody was back in town. And when you think and you see Cadillac on the sideline coaching, like how does that make you feel for as a brother and a friend to him to, to see him actually fulfill his dream? It makes me feel good. It, it's excited. It makes me feel like <clears throat> um, I'm really a part of the team, kind of get some stuff on how he's thinking, how he's progressing with coaching, uh, some of the insights of what's going on, not details of the game plan, but, you know, how he prepared his guys, what he thinks the guy's going to do this week, uh, you know, how the running game going. So all that information, when you're not that close to a coach and to have an insight on that, you wouldn't know. So to have him that back there with his organization, um, uh, with recruiting, with, you know, just bringing that traditional old Auburn, how we had when we was there, the insight that he brings to the team, I think is very special. And Every time I see him on TV, I'm proud of him to see how he enjoyed it because that's something he always wanted to do. He enjoyed coaching. Uh, it's not my field. He loved it. And the more he loved it, I'm proud of him. All right, Los, let's get into the to the mindset of a DB, which I already know the mindset of DBs. But when you look at Derrick Brown, you look at Marlon Davis, you look at Nick Poe, you look at Big, Brad, Big Cat Bryant, and uh, you see the pressure that basically definitely these two inside interior guys uh, with Marlon and uh, and Derek. When you got two defensive linemen like that as a secondary and in a corner and a safety, what goes through your mindset is when can I take gambles on balls as interceptions or how do I want to play my guy man or even if I'm in zone, like the things I can look at, what makes their pressure on the quarterback make your job just a little bit easier when you're out trying to cover these big receivers? It makes it a lot easier. Knowing that these guys are um, going to get pressure um, pretty much air snap. Uh, when they in the game or they out the game, the backups come in and get pressure too. You, <clears throat> It depends. You have times when you uh, can gamble and take your chance, especially if they backed up on their side of the field. You know, when they get close to the 50, you know, most teams probably take deep shots and take balls. So those times you wouldn't gamble then. But I think that's all in preparation during the week. And we notice those opportunities, especially when you got a blitz going on or something like that. When you got those guys up front knowing they're going to beat their one-on-one matchup and you send an extra linebacker in there and give those guys a chance to to get one-on-one matchups and they can't double-team them, those are opportunities you know, okay, they don't got long to throw this ball. If they stutter at 10 yards, I'm jumping the curl. If I see them, if I see it's a three-step, three, three step, I'm jumping the slant or the hitch because I know you don't have time to pump and throw the ball deep again. Um, and also knowing your coverage, knowing your coverage. If you got safety help or you can take this chance or maybe I have a safety running over the top of me. If I don't, I got to be sure of that route. Uh, for me, I studied a lot, and I took a lot of chances. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. But <laughs> as a DV, you want those highlight uh, plays that, you know, you get an interception or you make a big play on third down. Or not even just that. You see a run. You can attack the line of uh, scrimmage faster than, you know, they can recognize that you're going forward. So it's a lot of opportunity that you get. You know, I had a lot of opportunity to make plays on the ball, make interceptions. That's why we was one of the top defenses when I was out there. Well, the storyline has kind of surrounded those two guys. And really, this year is kind of a similar scenario to you guys. I mean, eight 
eight players on this Auburn team decided to return for this year and not enter the NFL draft. And Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson are among those two. And you guys did the same thing following the 2003 season. The difference is you guys got an undefeated 04 season, a season that, you know, Auburn football fans uh, hold very, very tightly. These guys are now having to deal with some really tough losses. Uh, I'm just curious what that decision was like for you guys and how do you think those that decided to come back for this season and, and the reality that it has become, how do you think they're handling it given the decision that they made to come back? I think they're handling it very well. Uh, <clears throat> I know they're not, uh, we're not doing good as a team for us to record and losing to some of the, uh, these teams that are ranking the big games we're losing, but individually as players, they should be happy about their performance. Um, they ain't, they, they're not playing bad or haven't been playing bad to drop their stock. Um, so I think they're happy and probably it, it, um, made it go up some, even with some of the other players. So I think the way the defense playing and the way those guys are playing individually, individually, they should be happy about, you know, their decision to come up. I mean, pretty, like I said, they sad about the team effort, but individually um, they're playing very well. And for me, that decision was, um, you playing good, and like for me, I had I started my freshman year playing good, my sophomore year playing good, my junior year, and you see guys coming out, and you're like, I'm better than him, or they say I'm better than him, or I should be going from first to third. But talking to coaches and talking to other people that was close to me, it's like, you want first to third, or you want a sure first round, and it was easy for me. You know, you want to go and you see the money, you see what you can get, and but seeing his first to third from just a first-round grade, it was an easy decision for me. And then on top of that, having those guys coming back, um, we seen the potential on what we can do that following year, and it showed. I think for all of us, it was a great decision for us to come back. And college is fun. That was another year um, being with those guys and, you know, having fun and also performing on the field. And all of our stock went up. Um, so I think it was a great decision for us, too. Yeah, and I think uh, the whole thing, Taylor, like you were saying, like guys decided to make the decision. You got to find people close around you that has your best interest in heart. You know, like sometimes you have the agents come from all over the place. You have like, you know, you know, like different hidden people, the agents seeing to try to get close to you or get to know you. And you just got to like look deep inside yourself and just like, hey, man, you know what? I've been playing the locker room with these guys all these years. Like we've had some highs, we've had some lows. And then sometimes part of you also feel like unfinished business, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. I remember my junior year, you know, I was kind of upset. Like, you know, we don't finish and strong, but I was upset because, you know, Petrino had left and went to Louisville, took the head coaching job, which is understandable. But our sophomore year had took off, you know, for running and myself. So we was doing good. And also we tried to implement Petrino's system by making Hugh Nard offense coordinator. And he was so inexperienced at being an offense coordinator that that was all new to him. And we had all this talent and it just, you know, it takes special people that know how to do that. And I think for us coming back our senior years and everything, like you said, like, look what we would have missed out on had we listened to outside people. Yeah. You know, we'd have missed out yeah. on a whole lot. You're talking about more than just football field, but you're talking about like friendships that, go all the way through your your older years, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff where your kids know, know them because we've all been around each other. So it's more than just on the football field, but even away from the football field, even guys we know from 2000, 2001, 
we still keep in contact with. And that's because we were all in that same locker room together. That's awesome. Well, hey, we're right. certainly glad that they all returned. This season would have been way different if we didn't have those up front. So right. really excited for, for what those guys will accomplish moving forward. Well, I want to get both of your perspective, obviously following a really tough loss uh, to a, a rivalry that runs pretty deep. You know the Iron Bowl is a week away, but you've got Samford right here in the middle. Give me the player's perspective on on how you kind of stay stay up for a game like this and honestly how you stay up to finish the season because it does feel like this this loss was really deflating for this Auburn team given a lot of the factors that played into it how do you kind of keep your chin up and finish strong knowing that you know some of the things that that you were hoping to accomplish this season are out the window after this loss uh <clears throat> me personally i think it just being a competitor, um, you know you still got a game on the schedule that you got to play. Yeah, Sanford, yeah, they shouldn't be in our league. They shouldn't play with us. I think with us, our mindset was go out there and play um, and try to get the game over as fast as you can. Um, a lot of games yeah. I was seeing year, we was out of the game in the third quarter and get a guys that hardly ever play an opportunity to play, to experience that, um, to play in front of our fans. A lot of them guys, you know, only get to play on the special teams. Or probably don't play at all. Just go through warm-up and, you know, just be on the sideline chilling. So games like this, you can't take it for granted. You can't say, uh, I really don't want to play. Then that comes in, you're not you're playing timid, you might get hurt. Um, so those games, if you look on our schedule, we played those teams and it was like 33-3, uh, something to seven. And we were done by the third quarter because we took that game just as serious as we took it took the Georgia game or the Alabama game coming up. We know that the attendance is not the same or the crowd is not the same or is not as hyped as a game like that. But we want to go out there and perform. Uh, if you want to say um, stack your stats, <laughs> you can do that. But you need to go out there and take that game serious and try to find a way to get better. Um, I'm not trying to sing out one side, but especially on offense. If both can take these games and build confidence in front of your home crowd or, or wherever you're playing at, uh, especially after a loss like that to a rival, and you got another bigger rival, in-state rival coming up, you should be licking your chops about this game. Just go out and try and build confidence. Um, play hard, play fast. And next week, this is the last game for, for the bowl game. Just let it all out. Yeah, you're right. Well, the question going to come down to, though, Taylor and Carlos, is we win Sanford game and Alabama game. We're nine and three. If you're Marlon Davis and Derrick Brown, and you're not playing for a championship. Do you play in the bowl game? Oh. So we talk about getting that oh, ten man. win, getting that ten win season. A lot about getting that ten win season going to come down to us beating Alabama and, and who plays in the bowl game. If this was our senior year back then, of course I would play. I'm talking about you not right playing for now, a championship. I still would play. If it was back in our day when mm -hmm. we was playing, if this was our senior back then, I would play. Now that so many guys are worried about draft status and things like that are getting hurt, this time, if I'm those two guys, I wouldn't play. I think they solidified themselves in their draft. They know they're going to be top draft picks. I don't think they got nothing else to prove. Yeah, you want a 10-win win season, but for y'all to say, okay, we win nine games or we win 10. The 10th win helped me for my draft status or this may be putting me in a situation to get hurt. 
as competitive. I know they probably would play if I'm an agent with those two guys, knowing they're at least going to be a top 10 pick. I probably would ask him that you think it's better for you to play or not. If he say he shouldn't play, I'd be uh, well on board with him to tell him not to play in this day and time. But if it was mine back then, I would play. Yeah, that'll be certainly interesting. That's That's been a topic of discussion the past few postseasons as we're seeing more and more guys opt to sit out of bowl games because uh, Jason and I have talked about this. Bowl games have kind of lost their importance after the emergence of the college football playoff. So uh, it, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem worth it anymore, really. So I, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't blame those guys. I think they've proven enough. And it also gives us a good opportunity to see some younger guys. I think the new redshirt rule is great. Guys that have yet to play four games won't have to burn their red shirt and could play in a, a big time scenario like a bowl game so uh it, it could be interesting to see who ends up out there in that scenario well carlos before we let you go the the last thing i have you know like i said at the beginning and and you wanted me to repeat anyway you are an auburn great <laughs> you uh you have left your mark you're welcome you have left your mark on that program i know it's still really important to you you went on and and had a 10-year career in the league. What is something that that you can look back on about being an Auburn Tiger as something really special to you that maybe you didn't realize it when you were playing there, but since leaving, you know uh, there, there's something just about being an Auburn Tiger that that really made a mark on you? Uh, I would say just the close-knit group of people that you be around. Um mm-hmm. Um, people can't, a lot of people can't say this, but our team, it was real special. Like we was really close. Um, we hung out with each other all the time on and off the field. Um, whether it was fraternity parties, where we went to sorority stuff, um, <laughs> it didn't matter. We went everywhere with everybody. I'm saying we, that's how we were. And we was real close. And one thing about our team, when, when it was time to work, we worked. Like we really, we had a strength and conditioning coach that really put us to the test, and we passed. And if you didn't, you would stay out there, and you would get your extra running in, whatever the case may be. But we always pushed each other and worked. Um, so those things like that, I did carry to the league with me. And then you get in the league, it's like a lot of these guys don't really work like that. Like <clears throat> you really have to get a bonus in off season to work. When leaving our program, we thought that was normal. Like the, the conditioning and the workouts that you do in the NFL, they was easy compared to what we did in college. But I think that I was so grounded in, I would say we were so grounded in our work ethics and pushing ourselves throughout workouts that that was something that stuck with me throughout my NFL career that I had to continue to work. Days off, we continue to work. We go in and lift or we'll lift early, especially my latter part of the year, my latter part of my career. If we had a meeting at 8.30, I was in there at 7 doing conditioning and still, like, getting some little lifts in or uh, stretching or ass or anything, stuff like that just to keep keep my wind up. So I think that's one of the biggest things that helped me out throughout my career, just to stand tight with these guys and my work ethic carried over to my NFL career. I think that helped me uh, sustain the 10-year career. Yeah, you're right, Taylor. Them workouts were serious. I'm talking about serious. <laughs> Coach Yachts wasn't playing. We running 5.30 in the morning. We running heels with weighted vests on. We, like, we pushing the sled 300 yards. Like, it's just a different mentality when you come from Auburn and then you go to the NFL and you get around all these other 
other uh, schools that, and you just realize like not everyone worked like you do at Auburn. And I think that's the yeah. difference between becoming an Auburn man and just being a regular guy to just come through school and go on. You know, it's just the, the chemistry. Like you say, Auburn is family and every person we've had on this show up to the date has all, and we didn't even tell them anything to say this. They all mentioned <laughs> the word family out of their mouths. And it goes to show you yeah. that Auburn is a close knit university for it to be so big, it's so small and close in a way. And uh, and everyone got a hand into it and, uh, and everything. So, Carlos, we appreciate you coming on the show today, man, taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. We, we know. But Carlos does have a daughter that's really good, Taylor, that can play basketball now. So we may see her in all okay. in about seven, no, about eight years. So I like it. Yeah. So I don't know where she got a talent from, probably the mom, but we'll <laughs> – but yeah i appreciate y'all from uh, from having me man i mean i had to go through a security clearance to get here but i made it <laughs> but uh, so anytime anytime y'all want me on you know any game uh, whatever y'all want to talk about just hit my phone i won't go golf just uh make sure i get on this call Oh, thank you, Carlos. That means a lot. Jason said you uh, you spend more time out on the course because he's he's got banged up knee. He can't hang with you anymore. But we certainly appreciate you taking time to chat with us here on Tiger Talk. As always, everybody, thank you for listening to us here. Jason and I break down all things Auburn football. We have phenomenal guests each week like our guy Carlos Rogers. So be sure and subscribe. Listen to us every week. Everybody enjoy the Sanford game this week. We'll break down that riveting matchup next week and then preview the all-important Iron Bowl. So for Jason and myself, everyone enjoy your week and War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.